You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Welcome back to Water Flying. I'm Abby Kellett. I'm a flight instructor in seaplanes and assistant to Steve McCauley, executive director here at the Seaplane Pilots Association. Yeah, and as we start this episode of Water Flying, we'd like to give a shout out to our lifetime members because it's you guys are prov- that are providing SPA in the water flying community with long-term support and health. And also to all of those listeners that are providing us with feedback for this podcast, we are constantly striving to improve this show and make it as relevant, informative, and as interesting as possible. So we really appreciate that feedback. If you would like to reach out, you can find us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us here at the office, spa at seaplanes.org. Today, we are so pleased to be joined again by Levi Guimond, VP of Operations at PK Floats, to talk about what you need to know before you buy your first seaplane. Levi, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to have you on again. Oh, thank you for having me on the podcast again today. You know, I received a lot of good feedback last time, and it really sounds like you've grown the podcast significantly since then. Yeah, so uh, we'd like to ring the bell because we're celebrating over 15,000 listens uh, to the podcast, and it's been growing at a steady rate. So please, if you're enjoying the show, keep listening. Recommend us to your friends, and uh, thank you so much. Ding, ding, ding. ding There's ding, the bell. Ding, ding, we'll the have bell. a little bell. Where is it? It should be in here. We should have a bell. So I know PK manufactures some of the best floats in the world. I know we've talked about it on the podcast before. You're actually the first manufacturer that we had on our podcast And so if anyone's interested, tune in. It's in season one. But I understand that you guys are also expanding one of your side business models, something you've been doing for a while that you're just expanding on now. Oh, I'm excited to talk about aircraft sales. You know, we've bought and sold airplanes for 20 years, but it was always coincident to building floats. You know, we'd buy an airplane, put it on floats, and then sell it as a package. Um, Now we have a team of three people brokering everything from cubs to caravans. The primary focus is, of course, seaplanes, because there's an incredible wealth of knowledge here. You know, the 180 and 185 specifically in this area are quite popular, uh, but we'll sell wheel planes as well. I've got three of them for sale right now. We're not going to discriminate against the airplane that doesn't have floats. Uh, <laughs> most of all, I enjoy working with the clients and, and look forward to really growing this aspect of our business. So I think that you did the math and you told us you did the math. How many years of experience do you guys have there? Oh, I lost count after 175 <laughs> years of, of knowledge. And, and it's really not a big team. There's, you know, 12 or 14 of us that, uh, that make up the group here. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and a great location and a great team and a, just a, a nice operation and a great place to hang out. You can even camp there on the airport. Yeah. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, So let's get into it. Talk to me a little bit about what you feel. I've got some opinions, but what do you feel are some uh, good entry-level seaplanes for someone to think about on their first purchase? Yeah, my number one answer to that question when a customer calls is the 172. It's an airplane that a lot of us learn to fly in. It is a great entry-level seaplane. Um, A step up from the 172 is the 180. Uh, Awesome seaplane there. 
Um, and then don't forget about the J3 and the Super Cub. Um, all of these are certified airplanes. They can go on floats relatively easily, um, and and they just do a good job all around. Yeah, I have to tell you, I the 172 is at the top of my pile as far as recommendations for someone for a first seaplane, and there's a, uh, there's several reasons. Number one, we all learned how to fly on a Cessna product, or, or most of us did. So it's a familiar cockpit for us. It's a familiar airframe for us. Parts are readily available. Uh, the maintenance know-how of how to maintain a Cessna 172 is readily available. So, and and it's not a complicated airplane. So for all of those reasons, I really like the one. I think it's a sleeper in the seaplane world. Uh, I think there's, I would love to see more 172 seaplanes. And I, I think it's a great first option for people. Sure, sure. The so, only thing I would recommend with a 172 is to get a 1968 or newer or one with an engine conversion on the prior years to 68. Yeah. Uh, the Avcon conver- uh, conversion on them is, is a great conversion. The 180 or 210 is, you know, if you can find one of those. So uh, what about, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So just wanted to point out, so the SPA, the Seaplane Pilots Association, we have the Water Landing Directory app where you can find flight schools. And so if you're looking to make a purchase of your first seaplane, we highly recommend that you get training and get some experience in different aircraft. So the Seaplane Pilots Association, we have the water landing directory available in an app form um, for your smart devices. And then we also have the flight training guide. We publish it annually, and it gives you information on different flight schools and the type of aircraft that they're teaching in. Highly recommend you get training. That's a great, we didn't talk about this before the show, but that's awesome. So with the app, you can literally go in and say, I want to locate a school that has a 172 Mm -hmm. or a mall or whatever you're considering. And you can go fly that aircraft and see if you like it before you buy one. Exactly. Doesn't that just make sense? Kind of test drive it before you make it, before you make the purchase. Yeah. So if you go into the app, you can literally say, I want to look for a flight school that flies a Cessna 172. It'll only show you those schools and you can even do it by state or by a range of states. So you can locate it, you know, so there's a school, if there's a school near you that has one of those aircraft, you could go fly one. Great, great catch, Abby. I like <laughs> Thanks, it. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> okay. So Levi, there are some examples of, of aircraft, but you know, there's also other things like what should you avoid? Because there's a lot of things that as a first time seaplane purchaser, you might not know, you know, the things to avoid. What are your, some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of float planes out there and there's a lot of things you got to be careful about. Some of the engines are no longer supported with parts. Um, Franklin, for example, the O290D2, the C85, the C90. Um, And then aside from engines, you have floats that are no longer supported. Older amphibs, uh, float manufacturers that went out of business. Um, those are things you got to watch out for. Make sure you can get the parts you need to keep the airplane flying. Um, one big thing that I always recommend is don't go out and buy an underpowered seaplane. A 65-horse champ can go on Edo 1320s. It doesn't mean that that's going to make you a great seaplane. Right, right. That makes sense. So we've talked about some of the best entry-level seaplanes, some things to avoid as you're looking at different aircraft So what are some things that you would consider before making a purchase? The first two items that we need to establish with a client is the mission and the budget. 
from there, we can really determine the aircraft that's going to fit that mission and stay within their budgets. You know, a client generally knows what they're looking for in an airplane, but there's pros and cons to way of all the different makes and models that are out there. Um, Other items that play an important role in the decision-making process include, is this a cash deal or are they financing? Uh, Where are they going to keep the airplane? Do they have a hangar? Do they have a lake house? Um, Are they going to insure the airplane? Uh, Who's going to do the maintenance? There's a lot of details that need to be discussed prior to purchasing that new airplane. Sure. So breaking that down, we got the mission, the budget, we've got insurance, the type of floats that you want, and then maintenance. So take us through an example of this process as you're making that purchase for your first seaplane. All right. Let's let's use a theoretical client. You know, I'm just going to make this person up. Um. This isn't one of my clients and it's not me. Not a real person. This, person, this is not a real person. Uh, let's say this client's in their mid-30s. They're happily married. They're a professional business type. They work in engineering sales. They're a sub 500-hour pilot. They got their high performance, their complex, their tailwheel, their instrument rating, and they just got that brand new seaplane rating. What's the first thing everybody does after they get that new seaplane rating? They're looking at the classifieds. They want their first seaplane. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So the first consideration would be the mission. What does this person want to do with their seaplane? They have that shiny new ticket in their hand. They just took their picture with their DPE and their in, um, instructor. They're so excited. What what kind of what are they thinking about? What is this theoretical person? What is their mission? They want to build some time. Sure. You know, they're a low time pilot. Um, they want to do some overnight camping trips, maybe with their wife, maybe with their, their fishing buddy. They're going to go visit people at, at lake houses. You know, they got friends on the lake. They want to show up in this new float plane. Um, all these flights are going to be made within a hundred mile radius on average. Um, long range isn't a big concern here. Um, and that's about it for the mission. So local and light. So they're not flying in light. Isn't that I like great? That. I like the alliteration. <laughs> so they're keeping it pretty close to home. They're not flying, you know, their entire family and their dog and, you know, they're keeping it light and local. We I like, like that. that. So, and so we have to talk about the next thing, which is budget. I mean, this is going to be a huge deciding factor. What do you think about budget, Levi? Oh, the budget's always the, the hard one. Um, you know, you really got to have a budget when you start looking at a float plane and, and for an entry-level certified airplane, $80,000 is what I'm setting for a budget. Um, we're in a really hot market right now, and this is a lot of money, but this is really an entry-level straight float budget. You know, 10 years ago, I would have said half that number for an entry-level seaplane. Yeah, and I would say that 80000 is is pretty tight on the budget. I mean, it's hard to find those aircraft, and, uh, you know, you might have to look for a while for that airplane. So uh, let's uh, also talk about when you're thinking about what your budget is and say you have this theoretical budget of $80,000. I think one of the things that really hit me uh, kind of square between the eyes as as an early aircraft owner, especially with my first seaplane, is that I'd rather see someone anticipate the fact that it's not just buying the aircraft it's all the associated cost with it Um, and you want to make sure that you don't spend your entire budget on the acquisition of the airplane because you want to have money so you can fly and enjoy the airplane 
And, you know, we've talked a lot about annual cost and, and the variables on that. It really depends where you are and who's maintaining your airplane and how complex the airplane is. But I think, you know, for me, I have to put away a, a fair amount of money for each flying hour that I do or each month just to anticipate my annual coming at the end of the year. And, there, you know, ADSB for me was a $10,000 upgrade to put ADSB in sure. because I had a non-WAS GPS, which meant I had, you know, it, it was a, a really expensive buy and I wanted to put a Garmin uh, 345 in. So um, anyway, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the other things. Um, yeah. So going into the type of floats, you know, one of the things that people are thinking about, am I getting straight floats or am I getting amphibs? So Steve and I've had this conversation, not argument before. So season one, episode nine, we <laughs> talked about straight versus amphibious floats and Roger at the airport is still giving me grief. He says that I hate his airplane because it's an amphib. And so I'm having to defend myself. Like, no, it was a conversation. It's a podcast. <laughs> so he thinks I have like this vendetta against amphibious airplanes. I don't. I love them. There's a time and a place for them. So there's pros and cons. A so time and a place for A time amphibs. and a place. Okay. But let's talk about that. You know, there's pros and cons to each. So straight versus amphibious. So Levi, what would you say pros for straight, pros for amphibious? You know, if my clients in Phoenix, Arizona, they're really limited on water. Um, we do have a Husky down there on amphibs. In that scenario, amphibs are absolutely necessary. That airplane's going to live in a hangar when it's not flying. Um, my customers in Minnesota or Maine or Alaska, they want the straight float airplane for the performance, the lower cost, the lower cost of maintenance. Um, like you said, a type and a place. Yeah, sure. So straight, you know, better performance, but obviously you're limited on where you can keep it. You can't get to fuel necessarily as easy, but somewhere like Maine where straight floated airplanes, seaplanes are pretty prevalent. You guys have obviously worked something out, whereas down here, amphibious floats are really a necessity, especially if you're flying in that salt water. You got to be able to get the airplane out of the water and get some of that salt off. Yeah, it's a real catch yeah. 22 because right. you have access to maintenance and, and storage, but you also come at a higher cost of acquisition and a higher cost of insurance sure. and, and maintenance. So um, we had an episode a few weeks ago also when we're talking about the cost of aircraft ownership and, and everything that people need to consider, and that's the cost of seaplane insurance. So in season two, episode 16, just a couple of weeks ago, we covered the topic about the different elements of getting reasonable insurance rates and what you can expect as far as, you know, being a, a young seaplane owner or a new seaplane owner from insurance. So uh, you have any thoughts on that, Levi? You know, I'm always going to recommend insurance sure. for our clients. You know, this is going to be a straight float certified airplane uh, of around $80,000. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, you want to protect that investment. Yeah. And, you know, you have to think about if you are financing the aircraft, uh, then you probably will be required to have full coverage insurance. And again, this is a big cost driver. So just something to think about. So what about maintenance? Our theoretical buyer here, like has a straight floated airplane. Not every mechanic has experience with seaplanes and straight floats certainly limit the access you have to maintenance facilities. What is his plan or her plan for getting maintenance? Yeah, no, it's good to go into this with a plan. Um, luckily, this individual knows a good Cessna mechanic. Um, they live near an airport with seaplane access. Um, not everybody is this fortunate. You know, some people have to fly hours away to get an oil change done. 
And something as simple as an oil change becomes a big ordeal on a straight float airplane that's tied to the dock on the lake all summer long. Sure. And we don't want people skimping on maintenance because it's a little bit more of a hassle to get their straight floated seaplane to a maintenance shop. So really, you know, as you choose a seaplane, amphibs versus straights, you have to consider the availability of maintenance. Don't skimp on it. Never skimp. Never skimp. Maintenance. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. ever. Oh, ever. (laughs) So so we're at the moment of truth for our buyer. They found the aircraft that they think they want in the classifieds. Um, Now, uh, what do we do? You've got this... So what have they chosen? They, they've been searching the classifieds. Right. What did they choose? What, what did they end up with? The market, the market is so hot right now. I mean, it, it, it's as strong as anybody I know has, has seen it. Um, through searching the classifieds, searching the, the hangars around the local airports, calling people, um, we were able to locate uh, 1968 Cessna 172 on straight floats. It's an older dated airplane. You know, it doesn't have a glass panel. It's a steam gauge airplane. It's a stock Cessna 172 with a float kit. It's going to make this person a great airplane to learn to fly floats in. And at this point, I would advise the client to go get the pre-buy done and go from there. Do a title search, get the pre-buy done, and get ready to make an offer. Okay, I really want to jump in that on the importance of the pre-buy because do not cut yourself short in in the proper, I guess, process of doing this. Please get a pre-buy. If it's not critical on a land airplane, it's hypercritical on a seaplane because you can end up with corrosion in the floats. There can be corrosion in the aircraft. Uh, you can end up easily matching the cost of your purchase of the aircraft with gremlins that you have to correct if you haven't done a proper pre-buy. You really need to know what you're getting yourself into. Sure, sure. So the tail okay. AD, the the tail AD on the one eighty and one eighty fives right now is a big item. A lot of them haven't been done or, or are just getting around to doing them. Mm-hmm. And if uh, those parts are cracked, uh, you know that could be up to a, a twenty thousand dollar repair. Sure, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, so the pre buy, but a one seventy two as the choice seems like a pretty obvious choice. We talked about that at the beginning. That's your first choice for an entry level seaplane. Someone buying their first seaplane. And then the availability of parts, you went through, you know, it's a straight floated seaplane, you have maintenance to, you have access to a maintenance facility. It just seems like a good choice, even though, you know, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles. This person is using it for low level, local and light flying. So a 172, great choice. It is a great choice. And you know, when this client's done with this airplane, when they've, when they've outgrown the airplane, they're going to be able to sell it and get all of their money back, if not more, the way the market's headed. I think that's an important point to make as well. The idea that you buy an airplane and you take care of it, you keep up on the maintenance, you treat it well, maybe you don't fly it in salt water continuously and you keep that corrosion to a minimum and you can conceivably oh, get they, what you get. Yeah, please don't. Um, I, or if you I don't hope take they care don't fly in salt water at all. <laughs> yeah, at all. But if you do take care of it, you got that, you have the treatments, you have options. But just take care of your airplane and you could conceivably get what you paid for it and possibly more if you put a little bit of love into it and you maintain it, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't lost money on an aircraft sale at this point. 
Um, so it is a good investment, a lot more so than buying a lot of other things like an RV or a boat or something like that, where you know you're going to lose money. As soon as you drive off the as lot. As soon as you drive off the lot. Sure. But with an airplane, typically, if you take good care of it, you're going you're, you're gonna to retain your value, if not make money on the airplane. I like what they've always said, where you never really own an airplane. You just hold it for the next person. I don't know if you've heard that before, but yeah, that's, that's yeah. everything that I've like, even with the 150 that um, my dad has right now and we take care of it. It's hangered. We're putting you know money into it, hopefully getting that money back. And then the next person that owns it gets to enjoy it. I know we talked to Harry Shannon about this, mm-hmm, the idea absolutely. that these older airplanes aren't necessarily being manufactured anymore. And so it's sort of your responsibility to take care of them so that they continue to exist. You're the steward of the airplane. So there's so many, you know, topics here for future episodes of the podcast. And I think that this, this is a dynamic situation. So I don't know that this is the only time we talk about buying your first seaplane and going through the process because we could do a whole episode on straight floats. We could do a whole episode on amphibs. We could do one on LSAs and flying hulls and you know, it's going to change and be a dynamic situation. So, uh, there's a lot to talk about There's here. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, definitely. So summarizing, some of the things to consider before you make your first seaplane purchase. Mission, what are you doing with the airplane? Budget, straights versus amphibian. What's the type of float you want on your aircraft? Insurance and maintenance. So Levi, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on. Thank you, guys. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, anyone out there listening that, is interested in buying their first seaplane, give me a call at PK Floats. We'd love to help you out. Awesome. Yeah, so again, thank you, Levi. I'll look up PK Floats online, and they're also very active on social media. Also check out Season 1, Episode 7, for our first discussion with a manufacturer on floats. Levi, it's great to have you on once again. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. So we'll see you next week. And until then, blue skies and calm waters. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events, not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org. Join our community and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.